again. If you guys have your Bibles or have one of those black pew Bibles sitting around the room, go ahead and open it up to the book of Psalms. And I am thankful to be back in this pulpit this week. Uh, I was talking to a few people on the way in, and even though, so last week I was, in case you weren't here, I was not here. I was guest preaching at a church up in Carson City uh, for one of my good friends, Gavin, while he was on vacation. And and I can tell you guys this with, with absolute sincerity is I deeply missed being here. I missed you guys. I missed worshiping with my family. And so I'm thankful to be back. I know I heard Justin uh, did a great job uh, finishing up our church series last week. And unfortunately, the, the recording didn't work, so I wasn't able to listen later on. Uh, but I'm, I'm extremely grateful for him. I'm extremely grateful for just the, having the last seven weeks where we walk through that church series, looking at the foundation of who we are as Carson Valley Bible Church. And, and it was, it's been, a, I, I, hopefully you guys learned a lot just in those last seven weeks of who we are as a church. But now we want to kind of turn back to our, our bread and butter, so to speak, as, as a church. And that's simply walking through books of the Bible. And today, we are going to be in one of the most beloved chapters in all of the Bible. A chapter of the Bible that many people know about, have talked about, have sung about. You can see this, this text, this piece of scripture in movies, in songs, both Christian and not, all the time. It is this text that is often read at funerals. It's often used for comfort. It's often discussed over the, the, the armchair of a hospital bed, and for good reason, for good reason. That is Psalm 23, Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm, and it is a wonderful, a wonderful piece of Scripture. And, and we're going to kind of just take our time over the next three weeks and, and just kind of walk through it slowly. Because even though it's popular, even though it's well-known by many people, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, most people don't really quite understand what it means, though. That they'll say it, they'll recite it, they'll hang it on their walls. But if you ask them what it means, or what are the implications, if you actually believe this, they don't know. They don't know. And I want to take this beloved piece of Scripture that we have Really, a, a, a look into the life of David, to the heart of David, which is, which is meant to be the heart of every Christian. And ask yourself, why? Why is this psalm so important? Why is this piece of Bible so comforting to so many people? And I think there's good reason why that is. It's good reason. Charles Spurgeon, I have a couple of Spurgeon quotes for you guys this week. Charles Spurgeon called Psalm 23 the pearl of all the psalms. The pearl of all the psalms. Now before I read this for us, it's just a few verses. It's only six verses, I believe. Is I want to give you guys some, just some real quick context before we read it. Because the psalms are literature that we're usually in our Western mindset not super acquainted with. Right? The psalms are often poetry. Right? They're songs that were written or they're confessions by individuals or they're, they're even kind of like a journal entry, so to speak. They're, it's used with the, the literary uh, 
type to communicate these deep realities of our soul and of our heart in a poetic way. And so we can't read it like we would read a letter to of one of the letters of the Apostle Paul to one of the churches. It's meant to be read and contemplated differently than that. And so with that, I'll just let you guys know, Psalm 23 is, is a deeply personal and intimate entry of the, the King David into on his life. He's, he's speaking about what his heart longs to do. So you'll see the language of I and you and he, where, where David's constantly drawing these pronouns to say, this is deeply personal for me. But he also seems to be talking to God in the same way. So it's not only a confession in some areas, but it's also a journal entry in others. And here's why that's important. It's because the Christian life is not always sunshine and rainbows, right? It's not, not Skittles and, and whatever you want to put in that phrase. It's the Christian life sometimes has deep, dark valleys that you go through. One of the very uh, verses in which David will talk about. And if you don't know much about David, King David, the author of this psalm, his life was a roller coaster. His life was a roller coaster. You can read about his life through First uh, and Second Samuel, um, parts of First and Second Kings and Chronicles. And you, if you read some of these, these historical documents, these historical narratives of King David, you'll see that he was a great king of Israel. And he became this great king of Israel based off these successes that he had. He was this mighty warrior. Many of you guys probably are acquainted with his defeat of Goliath, right? Kind of his, his entry into fame in Israel. So he had great times of success. But it also came with great consequences at times. Saul, another king of Israel, tried to kill him for most of his life. He was always on the run. So he had these great, these great highs with these great valleys, loved by some, hated by others. The nation of Israel would, would flourish under his command, but David also sinned greatly. Think of his adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, where he was called out for not only committing adultery, but also uh, masterminding the murder of her husband. Even later on, when it wasn't David's father-in-law Saul trying to kill him, his own son Absalom was trying to kill him. So I don't know about you guys, but when I think of the Christian life, I usually don't put in constantly running away from people trying to kill me. But that is a reality for many people in the Bible. And it was a reality of David. So when we read a psalm like this, we have to understand its context that he was writing to communicate that even though his life was a roller coaster, there was something steady in it, and it was God. It was someone to be trusted, and it was his Lord. And so he's turning our attention to that because the Bible speaks about these deep, dark areas that we will go through in this life, and you are not meant to go through them alone. You're meant to go through them with a shepherd, with a leader, the leader. But let's go ahead. Let's, let, me, let me just stop there. Let me go ahead and just pray one more time. And then, and then we'll, we'll, I'll read this psalm for us. We'll read all the verses. Then we'll, we'll start walking through this. But go ahead and bow your heads with me. Let's just pray one more time. 
Well, Father, as we begin to unpack this wonderful, uh, just insight look into the heart of David, and which is really the heart of all of us who want to follow you, God, I pray that you would just illuminate the truth that we find in this passage. And even if we're familiar with this, maybe we grew up memorizing this verse for comfort and security. I, I pray that you would just allow us to look at it with fresh eyes this morning. God, allow my own uh, preaching to just rightly exalt the one it's pointing to. God, we also want to just pray for our kids this morning as, as they are just continuing to learn about these, these promises of God. They're running about, about Joseph and how, how his life was a roller coaster too. But he had you, he had you as his anchor. And God, I pray even our littlest minds would just walk out of this church along with all of us loving you far more than we first walked in. So we pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 23. That's on page 458 if you haven't found that yet in those Black Pew Bibles. Should be on the screen as well. But let me just read the whole psalm for us this morning. It reads, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Church, that is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so here are the two big ideas that I want to, for you to, to walk away with this morning because we're just going to simply just walk through the first two verses. We'll probably just be taking two verses each week for the next couple of weeks. And what I want you to see is that the shepherd of Psalm 23 is a provider and he's also a sustainer. He's a provider and he's also a sustainer. And like all of the Bible, I think this is giving us a clear picture of Jesus, that the, your eyes should go from Psalm 23 to right to the eyes of Christ himself, who is the good shepherd. But let's look at how it starts. How does the psalm begin? Because I, I feel like even though with, we're familiar with this at times, we get it wrong from the very beginning. What does it say? It says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, whenever you see in your English Bibles the, the word Lord there, the name Lord, and if it's in all capitals like it is here, what the author is doing when he wrote that in Hebrew is he's communicating the proper name of God, the proper name of God, the God of the Bible. Now, we don't have really a great equivalent in English, so what the translators do is simply just put it in all caps, saying that, that Paul is making a, dis, or not Paul, David is making a distinction of wanting to make sure exactly we know who he's talking about. The Lord, in all caps, Yahweh, Jehovah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the covenantal God of the Bible. It should raise, raise your, your attention, saying, the Lord. And here's why that is so significant. Because David, in David's culture, much like our own, and really all for all humanity's sake, 
is we are tempted to follow lowercase lords, aren't we? We are tempted to, to call other things our Lord, things that give us purpose, things that give us value, things that we'll follow, things that we will give our time, attention, talents to that are not the God of the Bible. It's a great temptation of all of us. And so what David is doing, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, not anything else. Not anything else. Not even myself. I am not the God of my life. The Lord is my shepherd. Now the reason that David uses the language of shepherd is why? It's because it's the language of the Bible. It's the language of the Bible church. The Bible is full of language of shepherd and sheep to communicate this idea that God is a shepherd and his people, his creation, are like sheep. In order for us to fully realize that we're not in charge, that in and of ourselves, that we cannot survive on our own, that we were meant to be led and cared for by another. So the Bible is full of this language of shepherd and sheep. It's it's throughout. And I want to just show you a few of these on the screen. You don't have to turn there. But in Psalm 79, 13, it says, But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Or Isaiah 40, 11, it says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Even towards the end of the Old Testament church, a prophet named Micah, states and talking about the Savior to come, he uses the shepherd language. Look at this, Micah 5.4. It says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall, dwell, they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. So even the Old Testament prophets talked about the this, this shepherd, the one that's to come. And who was the one that was to come? Jesus right? The Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, right, starts talking about the kingdom of God, starts talking about that he is the one in which the people have been waiting for, what kind of language will he use? John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. So Psalm 23 is not an isolated verse about shepherd and sheep language. It's the language of all of the Bible to talk about who God is in comparison to who we are. Because that's the greatest thing that we could do, church, is understand who he is and understand who we are and act appropriately to those two fundamental realities. So going back to Psalm 23, what does David do? He reminds himself, declares to God that the Lord is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. It's personal, right? David doesn't say that the Lord is the shepherd of Israel or the shepherd of of many, but he is my shepherd, my shepherd. Now, how can that be? How can that be? How can somebody say that the Lord is my shepherd? Or another way to put it is, how can somebody say that I am one of his sheep? Is it just because if all humanity, is all humanity part of, of, of God's sheepfold? I don't think so. Even though God loves and has made all of humanity in his image, I think it's clear 
even based off the verse we saw in John 10 of who is a part of the sheepfold of God? Who's a part of that? It's those who have believed, right? Those who have believed in the perfect, spotless Son of God. Those who have believed that Jesus is that long-awaited Savior. Jesus is the one who has lived a perfect, sinless, spotless life. And what did Jesus do with that life, church? He laid it down. He laid it down. He laid it down on a Roman cross and was killed, was brutalized. Not just by from the men that were hammering in those nails into his feet and into his hands, but by God the Father. He was being killed because he was bearing the full wrath and penalty for our sins. That when Jesus was on the cross, he was bearing that. Like a shepherd who's taking on the responsibility for his sheep. He was bearing that and laying down his life. That all the wrath of God that was built up for sinners like me and for sinners like you, Jesus said, I'm going to take it. Pour it on me. Pour it on me. And so to be his sheep means that at some point in your life, God has revealed that to you and yet you have believed that. That you believe that when Jesus went and got on the cross that it counted for you. That you needed that. And at some point in your life, because God has revealed that to you, convicted you of your sin, but also convicted you of the glory of God on the cross, the glory of Jesus, you repented of your sins, that you turned from those things, and you turned to Christ, saying, I need you. I need you. I can't do this on my own. And you're the one that has laid down your life for me. So church, that's what it means to have the Lord as your shepherd. Not that you just think that he's a good guy. Not that you just think that he's hopefully going to do something good in your life, but because he's your shepherd, the shepherd that has laid down his life for you. And you know how I even know this from Psalm 23, the context of Psalm 23? It's because what happened in Psalm 22? Psalm 22, church, is one of the the clearest prophecies of what would happen to Jesus on the cross that he would be broken and smitten and crushed for not his iniquities, not for his sins, but for somebody else's. And so I don't think it's by any accident that Psalm 23 comes after Psalm 22. I know you're thinking, hey, that's great studying, Luke. Psalm 22, the Psalm 23. But here's the reality of this. If Psalm 22 was not fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus, then Psalm 23 would not be good news. And so David didn't know in full when he wrote Psalm 23 all the details that we know about Christ today, but he did know that somebody was going to die for him. He did know that God was going to atone for him, and he trusted in that God as his shepherd. So we must ask ourselves then, is the Lord my shepherd? Can I join David in saying with absolute personal confession that the Lord is my shepherd. Am I following him? Is he the one that I want to follow? Is he the one that I want to give my life to because he's given his life for me? And, if, and I think the evidence of that is, right, if, you're, if, you're, if Jesus is your shepherd or if God is your shepherd, then you'd be following him. You follow the one who is leading you. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't stray. This doesn't mean that you can't get lost. 
Even verse 3 of Psalm 23 talks about this idea that even when we're lost, even when we fade away, even when we backslide, God is good and gracious to bring us back, to restore us for his name's sake. For his name's sake. But I think we need to just have a time of honesty and ask ourselves, is the Lord my shepherd? Am I following him? Am I following him? Do I believe in the God who he is, the God who has laid down his life in that personal way? Because, listen, God could be the shepherd of your parents. He could be the shepherd of your grandparents. He could be the shepherd of your best friend. But that does not make him your shepherd. It doesn't. And so we must always ask ourselves, is the Lord my shepherd? Not just that I grew up maybe learning about certain things, but is he my shepherd? And am I following him? Am I trusting in him? Am I trusting what he has done? Because Christianity is not a ladder to get to heaven. Right? It's not a ladder to get to heaven. It's not if we try really, really hard, then God will look down on us and say, you know what? Since you've been trying so hard, I will now be your shepherd. That's not Christianity. Christianity is God coming to us, God going first. And so that's what we believe with all of our hearts. Every other religion is saying, if you do this, then God might do that. But Christianity is saying, no, God has done this. So now respond with that. See, it's not, it's not up to you. It's not based off of anything that you would do. And so I would ask us, do we say with David, he's my shepherd? Are we going to walk out of here this morning saying with David that he is my shepherd? He is the provider in that. He provides everything, church. He's also the sustainer. Look at the next part of Psalm 23. When the Lord is my shepherd, what? I shall not want. I shall not want. See, sheep knew that the shepherd was about their care, right? Sheep understand that their shepherd is someone to hold on to, that their shepherd is the one who's going to to give them everything in which they need. And they're not going to have wants. This is pointing, obviously, to the reality of our satisfaction in God. That David is drawing upon this sheep-shepherd language to communicate that when the Lord is your shepherd, when he is leading you, then you are going to be content in him. You're going to have contentment in him, which is what David is getting at. That you don't have to go from person to person to get your identity. You don't have to go to thing to thing to give you some kind of value in this life, some sense of purpose. See, outside of Christ... We all try to do this, right? We all try to find our sense of identity and our purpose in what we do or something that we belong to. Think of your job. Like how easy can your job become your identity? That when you introduce yourself to somebody, you're quick to follow it up with, this is what you do. It's so attached to who you are. But what happens when you lose that? You, se- you tend to lose your identity. Your worth. We do this with relationships. But here's what I want to tell you guys, just as as your pastor, is those things that God has given his people are good things. They don't necessarily have to be 
sinful in and of themselves. They can be really good in and of themselves. But they are not meant to give you what we often try to get out of them. And so we hit the ceiling with them, with our, think of the jobs or our spouses, right? When you can go from relationship to relationship, trying to get some kind of value out of a person, some kind of identity out of a person that that person does not have the power to give you. Or your spouse, if you're married, if you worship your spouse like they're God, they're going to disappoint you. They can't be your everything. They weren't created for that. They weren't created to be your shepherd. They will crush under that weight. They will be crushed under that weight. I think all this is pointing to that I shall not want is David's reminding us himself that his greatest contentment, his greatest desires can be found in his shepherd, can be found in him. It's what uh, the Apostle Paul would talk about in uh, later on when he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Another very famous verse, but it's about contentment. It's not about ripping up phone books or scoring touchdowns. It's not what that, that passage is about. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's about being content in your shepherd. Being content in your shepherd. Now, in case you're confused, let me bring in the great Charles Spurgeon because he gives more clarity than I do at times. Look at this quote for me. It's a little bit long, but hang with me. He says, It is not only I do not want, but I shall not want. Come what may, if famine should devastate the land or calamity destroy the city, I shall not want. Old age with its feebleness shall not bring me any lack, and even death with its gloom shall not find me destitute. I have all things in abound, not because I have good store of money in the bank, not because I have skill and wit with which to win my bread, but because the Lord is my shepherd. The wicked always want, but the righteous never. A sinner's heart is far from satisfaction, but a gracious spirit dwells in a place of content. See, so what, so what Spurgeon's talking about, same thing what Paul is talking about, same thing that David is talking about, is reminding us that no matter your situation that you find yourself in, you can find contentment in your shepherd. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have desires for things in this world. It's not going to mean that you don't have needs in this world, but it means that those things will be met with Christ. And so we don't have to put the pressure on our jobs or our relationships or whatever else we tend to put on this pedestal to give us that value, to satisfy our deepest longings in our hearts. David's saying, the shepherd does that. When he is your shepherd, you shall not want because those things will be satisfied. So there's no surprise then that if the shepherd satisfies his deepest wants and needs, he can be trusted with the daily realities of our life, right? If God is a good shepherd who, who satisfies those deepest longings, then he can be trusted with the everyday realities. Look at verse 2, Psalm 23. David continues kind of the illustration of the shepherd's sheep. He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You see, David was a literal shepherd at one time in his life. And he understood that the reality that sheep, me, nay, sorry, words are hard. I don't know if you guys know this. 
need to be made to lie down in green pastures from time to time. That even if you get to an area where green pastures are abundant, sheep struggle to lie down. Why is that? Why is that? Because they're always on. They're always on alert because they know that they are defenseless. They, even though sheep are not smart most of the time, they understand that they are defenseless at times. And so when they find themselves in green pastures, they'll just eat and eat and eat and forage and forage and forage because they're trying to get as much as they can. They're trying to stay on the Lord. They're trying to feed as much as they can. And they're hesitant, hesitant to lie down. And so what a good shepherd does is he comes along and says, no, 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 no. Sheep, you need to lie down. You need to stop for a moment. You need to see the area in which I have brought you in, the area in which I have provided for you, and you need to rest. Lie down in what I have provided for you. The same with Jesus, right? He will make us lie down in green pastures. He will guide you to a place to feast and get rest. That's why Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, that call to worship, which we read this morning, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest. So the green pastures of our lives are, are with who, church? Are with Jesus, our shepherd. It's where we find rest. It's not in vacations. It's not even in the absence of responsibilities. Those things can be good. And you should try to, to find ways to do those party rhythm. But those are not the green pastures which David is talking about here. He's talking about finding rest in his shepherd who is providing for him and making him lie down. Jesus himself would demonstrate this in the feeding of the 5,000. Do you guys remember this from Mark 6 when we walk through the Gospel of Mark? Maybe if you've read the Gospels before, there's this, this famous miracle that Jesus does to this crowd where he takes a, a lunch of this little boy and he feeds five, over 5,000 people with just a fish and a couple of loaves of bread. But one of the things that Jesus does as he's teaching them is he instructs the crowd to go lie down, sit down in green pastures, in spots on the green grass. Right? Allowing everybody to see that Jesus is the shepherd who leads you to lie down in these green pastures. See, all of the Bible is about him, church. It's always pointing us to him. Furthermore, he not only leads us to rest and nutrition, but also still waters. Philip Keller, he wrote this book on Psalm 23. He was a, a shepherd, a literal shepherd turned pastor. He points out that, that his sheep that he used to, to lead were often far too easily satisfied in their sources of water. That even if there was great, clean water a few feet away, sheep would find themselves going to dirty, muddy puddles and drinking from them. And these puddles would be, be full of parasites and bacteria, which would, would lead to all kinds of different sickness for the sheep. And he said it amazed him that even though there was fresh water right nearby, the sheep did not have the intelligence to go to the clean water instead of the dirty water. They were far too easily satisfied with whatever was simply easiest. But it's not just the clean water, right? What, is, what does it say? Still waters. So it can't be fast-moving waters or peaceful waters. Sheep also don't see the danger in moving water. So what they will do is they'll, they'll come to like a river's edge 
or a creek's edge where the water's moving uh, swiftly and they would start to drink and their wool would soak up with water and get heavy and then they would basically fall into the water and be swept away or drowned right there in the spot. Sheep needed not just clean water but also still water. Still water. See, sheep are not smart most of the time. But we can't laugh at that too much, can we? Because how often are we, too, are we satisfied with things that were not meant or intended to satisfy us? That we go for things that are not able to quench the thirst in which God has, is trying to lead us to, right? That, that reality that we, we often will go to substitutes instead of the real thing. Let me give you a, a kind of a weird example of this. When I was in high school, uh, playing football, I, and I was, a, I was a decent player, but I had, I had two big faults of mine physically. Uh, one is I have this vocal cord disease that messed with my asthma and it, it, it made breathing hard. And, uh, and so that was an issue for me. But, but the other issue that I had was that my, my muscles, particularly my legs, would always cramp up would always cramp up no matter how many bananas I ate, how much uh, water I've been drinking, how hydrated I found myself, my legs would still cramp up. And I didn't know what to do about it. We were seeing all kinds of different specialists on this. And, and by the way, this is, even though it wasn't that long ago, this was, Gatorade was around, but some of the fancy electrolyte drinks that are around today were not around then. So the only way to get something that was really, really high in electrolytes was to drink something that I did not want to drink. Pickle juice. Pickle juice is really high in electrolytes. Now, pickle juice, imagine this, that has been sitting in the hot sun during two days and been cooking on an artificial turf field, and you get a water break, and you feel that your legs are cramping up. So what do you do? Right? You're thirsty. I had to drink pickle juice in that moment. Warm pickle juice. I think... My face, I, you guys, I, st- I can't look at pickles still the same way, right? It was terrible. It was terrible because in that moment, I needed something besides pickle juice. It's honestly, it's hard to find realities where pickle juice is the answer to anything. But pickle juice was not intended to quench my thirst, right? It was not intended for that. And so I was trying to get something out of it that it was not designed to give me. That's what we do in our own lives, is we constantly go to things and drink from them, whether it be culture, maybe other worldviews, maybe just personal agendas, and we try to get something out of them that they were not intended to give us. They are not the still, refreshing, rejuvenating waters in which God has provided. It's why addiction to you know, things like pornography or alcohol or whatever, it can be, it's a quick fix, right? But it leads to utter destruction because those things are not meant to give you what your heart is desiring in that moment. You may think that you'll get it, but the reason you go back and you go back and you go back is because it is not satisfying. It is not the still waters. Now, another thing that I want to point out, though, <clears throat> about these still waters, and this is fascinating, that in the east where shepherds are, are moving these sheep between, uh, you know, kind of just desert lands. 
water is hard to come by. And it's hard to come by not just these, these still waters, but these fresh waters. So one of the things that a good shepherd would do is over generations, a shepherd would actually carve out these watering holes would by hand make these little divots in whether streams or rivers or, or other natural places where there's, where there's water, and they would carve out these areas to, in order to bring their sheep to. And this would take a lot of hard work. This would take a lot of time on the shepherd's, on the shepherd's life. But it speaks to the work of the shepherd to, in order to not only just get a sheep to still water, but actually to provide that still water himself. Now, what's the obvious connection to Christ? Jesus, being the good shepherd, is the one who has carved out by his life and by his death the still waters which we can drink from today. The still waters that we can come to him knowing that he has provided everything in which we need. Even Jesus himself would talk about this in John 4, that he is the living water. The living water. And that whoever comes and drinks from him will not be thirsty, will not even desire the things of the world. So at great cost to himself, the shepherd brings his sheep to water. His sheep, his family. So when we drink of this, we're rejuvenated, we're refreshed with the things that he's given us. The things that we find in Christ, the things in which he's given us in common grace to know and believe and take from. And so as we just look at this wonderful psalm, this wonderful, even just beginning of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It should bring what to our lives? This great comfort to our lives. That the Lord is my shepherd. I belong to him. And when I belong to him, I no longer need or no longer want and I can be content in it with him. And I can be content with him because I know he's leading me to where? To green pastures. To still waters. That he's not going to leave me hanging. A good shepherd does not abandon his sheep. A good shepherd does not lead his sheep to something that will not ultimately satisfy them. Right? And here's why that's so important. Because, and I know this, and I know this because I know this of my own heart. That I know there's things that God has given me, things that I need to believe in him, and I'm tempted to go, I know this is what your word says, Lord. I know this is what you want from me. I know this is what you want me to believe, but there's this other thing going on in the world, but I, and I think if I just give myself to that just a little bit, it's going to be really satisfying. I don't want to. I want to believe and I want to fully trust that the green pastures in which David is talking about, the still waters which David is talking about, my shepherd is going to lead me to. I don't have to go find myself. I don't have to go find what works for me. God says, I designed you. I saved you. I know what works for you. Just trust me in this. I'm about your flourishing and your enjoyment far more than you ever will be. And I want to trust that. I want to trust that deeply. Because in the words of Jesus, he's not just a shepherd, but he's the good shepherd. The good shepherd who knows and lays down his life for his sheep. What a gift we have in him. Let's go ahead and stop there. We'll pick up verses, th verses three and four next week. But I think just those two verses give us enough to think about for a little while, huh? This is what we have in him, church. There's a shepherd who provides it sustains. 
everyone who calls upon his name. Let's pray. Father, what a gift it is to know you. What a gift it is to be able to have your word. That we're not left to wonder, is God for me? Does God care about my everyday realities? Does God care about and provide for ways for me to walk the walk that he's called me to go on? God, I thank you for Psalm 23. Because all of those things find their yes right there. They find their yes in Christ. So God, may we as a people just be able to respond to the realities of just those first two verses and may them be a hallmark for the rest of our lives. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, church. All right, well, what we'd like to do is want to respond in a couple of different ways. First, we're going to sing a song. You guys can see on your liturgy, it's called Psalm 23. It's just a song that's based off of this very passage of scripture which sings about its truth. And then after that, we're going to just go into a time of communion, a time of the Lord's Supper, where we just remember uh, just the physical death of Jesus on our behalf. But let's go ahead and stand together. And let's sing this song and its truth. Psalm 23.